When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to really discuss two main topics. Uh, I want this podcast to, A, serve as a bit of a rebuttal to a a podcast that was actually done last week uh, by Macro Voices, run by a guy by the name of Eric Townsend. This was an interview with Jeff Christian from CPM. You guys, actually, if you've listened for any amount of time to my podcast, you know that I I view the Macro Voices podcast uh, pretty positively. I've brought it up many times for the past uh, couple of years and and generally enjoys podcasts uh, quite a bit. However, this one, you know, I'll get to it in a bit, but sort of rubbed me the wrong way. The second reason I want to discuss this topic, which again, you can kind of sort of see in the, the title of today's podcast, talking about GLD, SLV, and, and really the different ways to invest in precious metals, is sort of to rehash a topic that I've discussed pretty extensively in the past, but I think is important because of a the new the amount of new investors in this space, people that are looking to protect themselves through you know silver and gold, and b because of the, the pretty significant shortages in the physical silver and gold market, which has led to higher premiums and inevitably will lead to some people asking the question, you know, instead of buying physical silver and gold, should I diversify? Into or should I just instead choose to gain that exposure by buying something like GLD, SLV, um, something along those lines? GLD and SLV being some of the most or two of the most popular uh, gold and silver ETFs that are that are traded today. Now, of course, none of this should be serving as investment advice or financial advice. I don't hold any licenses in that. And by the way, I'm not barred from holding any licenses in that either. I'm not a convicted felon. Um, I have never been accused of, of any of, of that. I'm sure occasionally people leave comments about me pumping up precious metals prices or or whatever. I mean, uh, you get accused of whatever on, on YouTube. But certainly, um, I don't and have never uh, worked for any financial corporation or anything like that. Um, I've, I've, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm a grad student that's just finished up grad school that has an interest in economics, finance, and of course, precious metals. And the reason I bring that up, the reason I want to clarify that is, is going back to this podcast, um, which, you know, if you want to go, you know, to, to ways not to attack an idea or an argument, 101 sort of course, um, one of the first ways not to do that is to to attack a few individuals and and their own history and to some extent generalize it to to a broader group of individuals and or um, use that as a reason to undermine their arguments and and what I'm talking about here is, is in this podcast uh, Jeff and, and and Eric brought up the fact that in the precious metals space. Um, more of the alternative media side of the precious metal space. I'm not talking about, you know, a commodity desk trader or or 
somebody like Jeff Christian, who's a little bit more mainstream and whatnot in the precious metal space, but but somebody like like a Craig Hemke, like a Mike Maloney, a David Morgan, um, something along those lines, you know, maybe myself, that among that space, that community, there's individuals out there um, that are felons or are in some way barred from, you know, other parts of the financial system, trading or stock brokerage or whatever, and have decided to to settle on silver and gold because it's it's one of the few parts of the financial system that you don't really need a license to, to do, right? You need a license to um, to advise on financial matters and, and to be a stockbroker and on a, a real estate agent and whatever else. But in the precious metal space, that's not necessarily required. Um, and so occasionally, and I have no doubt that this is the case, individuals from that space come to the precious metals community and, and take advantage of people here. Now, does that mean that everything I say or some of the arguments I bring up are not valid because they're also held by somebody else that might be a felon? No, I don't think so at all, or espoused by that individual, regardless if they believe in what they're saying. I don't think that's a case at all. And in fact, you know, I think the broader financial system is rife with corruption, with crime, with criminal activity. I mean, look at Wells Fargo. You know, on the precious metals side of things, you can look at um, J.P. Morgan and various other banks and their traders that have been caught and testified and have... Um, I mean, these are things that are public matters. I've gone to court in terms of their manipulation of markets, not just precious metals. I mean, you can see it in in, in um, interest rates and, and various other markets as well, right? I mean, the financial system is is no doubt uh, rife with corruption, rife with unethical practices, and, and yet that's not how you attack an underlying argument to say that some are criminals, Right? Or, or some are whatever. I mean, I, I get it. Maybe there's wolf and sheep's clothing out there in the precious metal space, but there is in, in any um, aspect of the financial system, financial community, investing community, right? Um, and that sort of is, is a bad start to their podcast, I think, to, to attack the legitimacy of arguments by attacking the legitimacy of a few people and their arguments or whatever because of, of their their colored past, which may or may not be true. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what individuals necessarily they were referring to. They brought up at least one name, but, but maybe there's more, whatever. But again, I can preface this by saying that, hey, I'm not a felon. Um, I'm barred from, from licensure in any form of, of the financial system or investing system or community. Um, so so you, can, you can know that and, and sleep well at night on that, I guess. Uh, but the other aspect of it also that rubbed me the wrong way was their approach to conspiracy theories and, and how, again, if, you know, in this al- more alternative community, if individuals buy into any level of conspiracy theories, that that is, um, that that delegitimizes their argument. And, and what's really unfortunate about that is that you know, conspiracy theories these days, these days today, are, uh, these days can be. You know, the narrative really can be controlled by somebody when they label something as a conspiracy theory, and and thus because of some people's aversion to conspiracy theories, can really turn them off to anything else that person says. So, for instance, you know, if you say um, precious metals manipulation is a conspiracy theory. Anything else I say, because I acknowledge the existence of and believe in the existence of precious metals manipulation, then 
well, you know, anything else I say is, is somewhat delegitimized because I'm just a conspiracy theorist. And, and for some people, that's a positive term. But for many people, it's not, right? Even if they themselves believe in some level of conspiracy theories, whether it has to do with um, the real reason behind, let's say, you know, to use a recent event, the real reason why OPEC chooses to communicate in various methods, the real reason why OPEC chooses to say this or that or chooses not to do this or that um, to, to potentially move the market in one way or another um, to, to Saudi Arabia and Russia's um, own liking. I mean, some would label that as a conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Um, but I don't think that delegitimizes everything else that that person says by any means, right? Um, but that's another that oftentimes gets brought up in this this discussion about, you know, precious metals and, and, and sort of this mainstream versus alternative um, viewpoints on it. Uh, and, and just label everything as a conspiracy theory and be done with it, right? That's, a I th again, I think a really poor way of, of attacking these, I think, very legitimate arguments, right? And so anyways, I mean, that those that aspect of the, the podcast sort of rubbed me the wrong way, and I think it was a bad start. It was very much a, I, I think that, I think somebody described it on Twitter as, as a very condescending tone, and I would sort of agree Right, they this sort of we're right, you're wrong, and, and your ideas should be should be laughed at, right? Um, whether or not I agree with all the views that they were talking about or whatever, but simply you know saying that to to these individuals or myself, I I took it a little bit personal because again, I I, I try and do all my dealings here on on the podcast realm, talking about precious metals and, and financial and economics. Um, with, with honesty and integrity. And I think a lot, there's a lot of very honest people out there in this space. There isn't though. There, there's some people that are not, just like in any part of the financial system. Um, but yeah, I took that a little personal. And, and then of course, on conspiracy theories, yeah, that, yeah um, that's, that's a really poor way to attack somebody's argument by just saying that, hey, they believe in these other conspiracy theories or what they believe in, this thing that we're arguing about is simply a conspiracy theory, right? Uh, just to label everything you disagree with as a conspiracy theory is, again, a, a poor way to do things, I think. Um, but but moving on, you know, I think they, they had the, a broader discussion about, you know, ways to gain exposure to, to silver and gold. Again, talking about some of these, you know, quote-unquote myths about this physical silver and gold market. And and this really brings me to, to I, I sort of want to pivot away from just their podcast and give you my thoughts on this matter. Now, the, the three main ways an individual can gain exposure to silver and gold. I oftentimes group it into three different methods, categories. A, you have physical silver and gold that you take delivery of, coins and bars, and in some way, shape, or form, you know, have possession of that. Uh, method number two would be to pay some company or corporation to house those precious metals for you in a vault, in a segregated account. Method number three, which is very distinct from method number two, I believe, would be to buy some sort of an ETF or a fund, much like GLD or SLV or FIS from, from Eric Sprott's company, uh, PHYS, which is states that in some way, shape, or form, it's, it's backed by uh, the metal, backed by, you know, ounce for ounce, by physical silver and gold you know three different ways that you can gain exposure to silver and gold and of course i think many of you guys can surmise that my, my preferred 
way of, of gaining exposure to silver and gold is physical silver and gold, right? Taking your own possession of it. Now, for some wealthy investors, yeah, maybe um, maybe having it housed in a vault or, or off your own property or in your own hands is better, maybe, right, in some scenarios. Um, but again, I mean, this is YouTube, this is podcast world. I don't think a lot of my people listening are you know, quote unquote, high net worth individuals, right? And that's not a, and, and maybe some of you are, and you still aren't going to go that route, right? Um, but no, I, my personal preference is, is for physical silver and gold in your own possession. And, and the reason being is this, like most people, I view silver and gold as a hedge. However, just calling something a hedge is, is really broad, what is a hedge ultimately? It's a hedge is, is basically a, a financial position that is supposed to counteract some other position or to to mitigate the effects of a course of events. Right? So in the financial world, you could say silver and gold could be a hedge against inflation, right? Inflation is going to be a series of events that cause a debasement of the currency um, or, or representative of a debasement of the currency and higher prices. But also, if you have other financial positions, inflation um, could lead to uh, a weaker currency, uh, lower bond prices and higher yields, right? And you could mitigate the effect of that by having silver and gold. However, I think for a lot of large financial institutions and hedge funds, and certainly people that Eric and, and Jeff would be more familiar with and know more the ins and outs of, um, oftentimes they view something like gold as as purely a, 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 a financial hedge against things that you and I may not place as high of an importance on. What I'm talking about is something like inflation, um, for instance, you know, they may use gold when, when interest rates are low and real interest rates may be dipping into, you know, negative territory like they are right now, probably, uh, depending on what you view as, as the real rate of inflation, right? Um, you know, that would be one example. You know, other traders, um, other financial institutions may use gold as, as you know, I've just I've heard it described recently on on. Macro voices, but I think it was Josh Crum, as I forget the term he used, um, sort of a, a zero interest rate, you know, carry currency. You know, use it when when you don't necessarily want to be in some other currency uh, because of of potentially the 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 um, rates associated with that or volatility or whatever reason, and you instead want to be in gold. Um, some may see it as a hedge against a drop in in the stock market or other um, more speculative markets as there's a rush to more safe haven assets like silver and gold, whatever. But for you and I, it, it, I think it fills all of those things, but it goes much deeper than that. You know, I think silver and gold should be, or for me at least, I don't, I'm not going to tell you how you should feel, but for me, precious metals are a hedge, yes, against inflation, against a, a bond market bubble popping, against a stock market bubble popping, real estate market. Um, it's against uh, uh, high or even hyperinflation of an underlying fiat currency. Um, 
those are all financial markets and, and the movements and whatnot. Um, however, I also see silver and gold as a hedge against some really broader outcomes. For instance, systemic risk to the financial system. Uh, some level of financial collapse or crisis. I see it as a hedge against that. Because oftentimes those other assets, stocks, bonds, currencies, are going to get caught up in that. Um, furthermore, an individual's uh, savings in a bank or a financial institution may get caught up in that. Their retirement accounts, 401ks and pensions and IRAs and et cetera, they might get caught up in that as well, that systemic risk, right? Um, I see it as a hedge against that. I also see it as a hedge against counterparty risk. And again, this is really only in the physical form that I see it as a hedge against counterparty risk or as a, as a uh, counterparty risk-free asset to hold. And what I mean by that is with every other um, financial instrument, there's generally some level of counterparty risk. Counterparty risk meaning um, risk that you take on uh, because of the risk that a different individual or generally you know, company is, is going to have. So, for instance, Robinhood, hugely popular trading app. People use it all the time to, to, to trade and, and purchase stocks. It's obviously very popular with younger generations. Uh, is there counterparty risk with something like Robinhood, though? In the sense that, you know, all these stocks that you are buying, you know, what is the value of those stocks? What is the value of your account if the counterparty, if Robinhood, is not in a sound financial position? Right? Or counterparty risk with a cash that you store at your bank. You're taking on counterparty risk, the risk that the bank has of some sort of a, a crisis or collapse. right? And it's always generally greater than zero. And, and I think large enough for me to, to want to be in something that is counterparty risk-free like precious metals. Now, the reason I bring this up, and it really gets to, to the heart of this topic, and I think the, the title as well, is that you want your hedge to not be uh, prone to being wiped out by the very thing you're hedging against. And what I mean by that is GLD, SLV. You know, let's talk about those real quick. I mean, ultimately what it is, is they are, are ETFs, uh, trusts that, that are, are traded like any other stock. You can buy an SLV share, you can buy a GLD share, and in theory, they're backed by some amount of physical silver and gold. For SLV, it's basically one ounce of silver. For GLD, it's, it's basically like a tenth ounce of gold. That all makes sense. However, the way in which you can actually exchange those shares for silver and gold is, is very difficult. I, to be honest, I don't know exactly how often it occurs, but it's relatively uncommon. And it's a lengthy process, likely. And it's something that would be difficult for somebody that is a small holder of, of these accounts. I, I forget exactly what the threshold is for something like SLV. I want to say it's a fairly high threshold but don't quote me on that. I could be totally getting it mixed up with something else. I, again, I should look up the facts on this. But, but ultimately, what I'm saying here is that it's, it's a difficult process that most people don't go through ever for, because ultimately what they want is they, ex, they want exposure to the underlying 
price of silver and gold, but not so much um, actual physical silver and gold. Now, are SLV and GLD actually backed by physical silver and gold? Well, I'll let you sort of decide that for yourself. They say they are. Um, they say that it's, you know, these they have bars, essentially, bullion, uh, um, registered as, as sort of backing these these shares. However, uh, going back to the to sort of the discussion about unethical practice in the financial system, it wouldn't be, you know, the, the odds that that may not be the case, the risk of that actually not being the case, I would say is greater than zero, zero percent chance, right? That's That sort of makes sense. And I'm not necessarily calling somebody like Jeff or Eric dishonest. They can believe honest to God what they're saying and still be wrong about it, right? They can still actually not be metal there or you know, potentially this metal could be have, have multiple claims on it right um, the the motivation for something like a GLD or an SLV to operate on more of a shall I say fractional reserve system is there because it's so difficult to redeem the underlying metals what they can do is um, just keep a, a smaller amount than necessary on hand, 1% or 10% of what they state they actually have. I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying that the motivation is there because then they can make money off of the other 90 or 90% of their, 99% of their metals or cash position, whatever it is, uh, and, and, and never really get caught until they run into some sort of a systemically risky situation, right? Um, and, and that's why I think GLD and SLV are not a good hedge against systemic risk. If the financial system falls apart, there's basically 0% chance, very low chance, maybe greater than zero, but very low chance that you'd ever actually get your metals that are backing those. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that you wouldn't even maybe get your cash back, right? When you look at the firms that back these very ETFs and, and various ETFs and funds, um, as well as... Uh, the uh, various other parties that, that have their hands in these markets, the, the counterparty risk is actually relatively high. So it's a great way to get exposure to silver and gold prices in a regular situation, but you're putting yourself uh, at a pretty high exposure to counterparty risk and, and systemic risk. Maybe part of the reasons that you want to get into silver and gold in the first place is to not expose yourself to that type of risk. And, and that's sort of my beef with GLD, SLV, um, a lot of those various ETFs and funds, as well as just broadly speaking, trading uh, paper, silver, and gold. I mean, that's ultimately what GLD and SLV is. I forget the name here. This was actually from a recent uh, uh, Zero Hedge article. Uh, but but it was, you know, quote, the GLD perspectives states, GLD represents fractional undivided interest in the trust. When you invest in a gold ETF, you're buying shares of the trustee. Basically, you are a shareholder of the trust, not a gold holder. As such, GLD represents a paper claim on gold, not gold itself. This negates a major reason for owning it, protection during crises. If the economy collapsed and brought down a part of the financial system with it, the trustee will settle your, your claim in cash, not gold. The real irony is the price of gold could be skyrocketing and the ETFs could be going bankrupt at the same time. Given these issues, long-term investors would be wise to avoid gold ETFs. So do you get what I'm saying there? You're uh, uh, basically, uh, you have a claim on 
uh, gold or claim on the, the trust, um, but you're not actually owning gold itself. And again, as he said here, even if you do, uh, even if they do settle with you, it's going to be in cash. But as he said, you know, they also could be going bankrupt at the same time. That precious metals are skyrocketing because they're skyrocketing with the backdrop of some sort of a systemic collapse or crisis. Right? Do you get what I'm saying here? So this mainstream approach, or just this really approach where you know physical silver and gold is not that big. You know, it's not that big of a deal to be in physical silver and gold versus what I would just call paper silver and gold works 99% of the time. But it's that one percent of the time, which ultimately is part of the reason for why you have silver and gold in the first place in which it, it won't work. I can't say this for certain, but I mean, that's ultimately the reason behind physical silver and gold, behind any hedge. I mean, the the the, the analogy of, of home insurance oftentimes gets brought up when we're talking about hedges and, and, and safety trades or, or safer assets, right? The idea behind, you know, I, I don't buy, you know, somebody doesn't buy house insurance home insurance with the intention of making money off of it. No, it's it's to protect themselves. And and when they get home at the end of the day and their house is still standing and they think to themselves, well, <laughs> what they don't do is they don't think to themselves, darn it, I wish I too bad I didn't get a cash in on my home insurance today. Too bad my house didn't burn down. Another really good analogy, though, about that is that you also can't put home insurance on a house that's currently on fire, meaning it's it's very difficult if you're in the paper, silver, and gold markets to quickly transition to physical silver and gold in the midst of that 1% of the time that I'm discussing here, in the midst of that some sort of systemic or financial crisis or collapse, Right? That's part of the reason why you own physical silver and gold. And I think that's something that maybe is, I don't know, I, I, I would enjoy to hear, I, I would enjoy hearing Eric or, or uh, Jeff's thoughts on that, right? And, and they even bring it up. I think Eric even at one point says, you know, maybe it's not going to be worth anything if we have a financial collapse, but that's probably not going to happen. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe not. You know, maybe the odds of that are happening are less than 50%. So it's probably not going to happen, Right less likely to happen than it is. However, should we just leave it at that, right? If silver and gold really are a hedge, a way to preserve your wealth, and if the downsides to physical silver and gold are not that great in terms of premiums, during normal situations, obviously premiums are much higher right now, but during normal situations, premiums are not that high. A lot of individual investors have no problem storing it on their own, um, and, and they have decreased exposure to counterparty and systemic risk, it's a bit of a no-brainer to me. But again, I'll let you decide for yourself. Don't take this as investment advice. I Again, go, it, really the crux of what I'm saying here, though, again, is that your hedge should not be prone to being wiped out or significantly affected to the downside by the very thing that you're hedging against. As always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.